0: Hello, friends. Welcome to this week's 30-Minute Thursdays, otherwise known as 30-Mint, where I bring you my weekly dose of fresh ideas and insights that are helping me perform at my best. For my favorite recovery hacks, training philosophies, and analyzed guest episodes, I will come prepared each week in hopes that you can apply these snippets to your everyday life. Now let's get to the show. If you like it, Please like and subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. And for the true fans, leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. This helps the show get discovered organically, and it helps me continue to bring on amazing guests for the main show. Today, I will be diving into my current strength and conditioning regimen. Stick around at the end for one of my number one training secrets. This is something that I implement with my clients for years and myself, and I think it can change the way that you train for the better. You can expect to hear about the following topics in this episode, which are identified in the show notes under the chapters. Today, we will cover my current training program, Juggernaut AI, which is the training app that I've been using for the past seven months, Despite being a personal trainer and someone who's able to program effectively for myself and others, I am a diehard fan of this app and you'll find out why, how to balance jujitsu and strength training, and when to use a weight belt. Enjoy the show. So give you a little bit of backstory as to how I got to the place where I'm training on the program that I'm currently training on. I grew up as a competitive skier and every single time I was in the weight room, it was always with the intention of becoming a better, stronger, faster, and more efficient skier. So my understanding of training started at a very young age with sports specific training in mind. As I got older, those demands changed and then becoming a professional personal trainer was really opened up to how many different modalities of training there are when you should use different types and how you can tailor that to specific types of goals. One of my big goals becoming jujitsu. Now I will reflect on this briefly for you. When I was younger, And I started jujitsu about six years ago. I was also competing as an Olympic weightlifter and I was on training splits that were five to seven days long. Sometimes weeks and weeks on end of really putting your body through the ringer on varied intensities to become proficient in the snatch and the clean and jerk. Those are the only two lifts that you compete in, but there are tons of accessory work that you do. In addition to that, to become a proficient lifter on the day that you step on the platform now. That was a big problem when I got into Jiu Jitsu, because a lot of Olympic weightlifting training has a ton of front squats and back squat variations, and your hips get extremely tight. It's almost a full-time job taking care of your hip flexors and keeping your back healthy so that you can continually train. You add in the forced flexion within grappling, constantly being on your back, getting smashed, trying to pick up a new sport. And all of that just intensifies. So my first year and a half in jiu-jitsu was really spent being hurt to some degree, overtraining in the gym, overtraining on the mats, always trying to work back from some kind of injury, and unfortunately not really respecting it in the process. So since then, I've made a big effort, and I've talked to a lot of professionals like Chad Wesley Smith on episode 70, which you can listen to in the show notes. People that are really experienced training and coaching people for grappling, for jiu-jitsu, and how to regulate that. So the current training program that I'm on is with the specific goal of spending more time on the mats and becoming a faster, more efficient grappler. That's a really important thing to understand for what I'm about to say because it paints a picture of this program being specific to me. And it doesn't mean that there's not pieces in it that you can pull from but when you're choosing a program or deciding how you're gonna do your training, it is imperative that you have a purpose. If you don't have a purpose for what you're doing, then you're just exercising. And although there are health benefits to that, it's not a bad thing to just go into the gym and do stuff. In the end, it's actually good for you. It is very different than training with a purpose because a purpose is going to help you with exercise selection, help you with frequency, intensity, volume, rest days, mobility, focus. It will be the thing that keeps you doing the sports you love, whether it's surfing, basketball, pickleball, jujitsu, grappling, striking, it doesn't matter. It will help you do those things better. So the current structure on my program is I only train twice a week. And this is a major regression from my past life. Before I was always training four to five days a week. I was always pushing at each session. I have really come to a place where I respect my recovery and I only push it to the degree to which my training program recommends I do. And I'll talk a little bit about how that program structured when I discuss juggernaut AI. So the current split is I train twice a week. This is in addition to grappling. So my Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday is spent doing jujitsu. Tuesday and Thursdays, those are my strength training days. And these days are broken down into two compound movements. So these are going to be big lift strength exercises that are in there with the sole purpose of maintaining strength that I've built in previous programs. I then shift into an aerobic capacity circuit. These circuits are designed to help you build endurance with the engine that you have in grappling and jujitsu. A big part of the demand is on your anaerobic system your high your ability to sustain a high heart rate and buffer the fatigue this is scrambles this is jockeying for position this is fighting back when your opponent's trying to sweep you if you had someone wear a heart rate monitor chances are the second that they slap hands and start training your heart rate's going to boost immediately and then it's really a battle of how well you can maintain that high heart rate for the remaining minutes in the round that is anaerobic conditioning versus aerobic conditioning, which tends to be a lower heart rates. So the big chunk of the, my training program in the middle are these aerobic, sorry, anaerobic capacity circuits. And these have built over a six week period, and they will continue to build through week eight. What they look like is five exercises selected. Performed for a specific amount of time with each one going one from the next until the set is done, taking a brief rest. And then repeating the cycle. So for example, you have five exercises, you do the first one for 25 seconds, as hard as you can. And when I say as hard as you can, this is a challenge when you're training by yourself, you have no one there to motivate you and no one there to check you if you start giving up. So when it's as hard as you can, I really mean as much as you can muster. This is all out effort for that time period. If you don't do that, and if you start to train with a little bit less intensity, Or you start to give up through the set you are not training your anaerobic endurance you're just training high intensity steady state cardio you're not pushing the envelope the goal of this structure is to push the envelope it's get better at being at a high heart rate for longer so five exercises week one 25 seconds on 30 seconds off more rest time than work time as you go through the weeks those time frames increase to where I'm at now in week six, which is 40 seconds of work, followed by 25 seconds of rest. All the way through, except now the rounds are going two full cycles through those five exercises. The purpose of this is to simulate match duration, which is five minutes of a match. So this goes back to the specificity thing. This is specific to what I'm training for and what I want to get better at. Then I go into neck care, 100%. This is a non-negotiable part of my training and it has become that way because of previous injuries. I've injured my neck more times than I can count in training and it has pushed and motivated me to get to a place where I really truly respect that part of the training. It is not fun. I don't like doing neck strengthening exercises. And since talking to Dr. Jonathan Amato, whose episode will also be linked in this episode. I have completely restructured the way in which I do that. I no longer do old 1980s weightlifting and, uh, wrestling neck exercises where you're loading your neck and flexing and extending, aggravating those discs. It is all with an iron neck isometrics, meaning there's no flexion, there's no extension and there's no rotation, but there is resistance acting against my head. So my neck muscles have to stabilize in an isometric contraction to build support around my spine. I cannot stress how valuable the iron neck has become. It is actually worth its weight in gold. And I was skeptical about this for months. I was hesitant to really say whether or not I was using it because I couldn't really stand by it, but it truly is a tool that creates a unique form of resistance against your neck that is very useful for grappling, but it's also useful for other sports. If you play a sport where you have the potential to fall, mountain biking, skiing, snowboarding, surfing, you don't want to have a weak neck in any of those instances. You want your neck to support your cervical spine because then on impact, there's more support to those free-floating vertebrae. That's why I can't recommend the iron neck enough. I'm probably going to do a full 30 minute Thursday, just on the iron neck at some point in the future. So if that is important to you, shoot me a message and say that you'd like it and I'll make sure to include it. So that really sums up my structure right now, two days a week, beginning our big lifts. So sumo deadlift, weighted pull-ups, uh, back squat and chest press. I knock those out. I maintain my strength on the big lifts. And then I get into that anaerobic conditioning. It's brutal, it's wearing. In week six, it's really starting to eat me up. So I think I'm looking forward to the end of this program and then switching it up to do something different. But I can 100% feel a difference on the mats. If you're listening to this and all that just sounds insane, you don't know what I'm talking about, reach out to me. I really am available to help you choose how to train effectively so that you can do the sports that you love without reducing the risk of injury and maximizing the amount of time that you can have fun doing it. So I'll talk a little bit about Juggernaut AI. I was introduced to Juggernaut AI, it's an app. Also Juggernaut BJJ is a jujitsu specific version of the Juggernaut AI app, which is a product of one of the strongest people I think I've ever met in my life, Chad Wesley Smith. He is a record holder, powerlifter, jiu jujitsu competitor, This guy really knows his stuff, and he has put together a fantastic product. And I really stand by this because I have seen a ton of strength and conditioning apps. I've also built my own at GetSkiSystem.com, which is specific for skiers. It is not an app. It's a web version. And I understand the challenges of creating a functioning fitness app that not only gives people good exercises to do, but makes those exercises specific to a certain sport And then prescribes weight and monitors their rest time and recovery. Chad's put together a fantastic product with his team. And I'm now in my seventh month of using it It It's the longest I've ever used a fitness training app in my life. And it has brought my deadlift back up above 350 pounds, which it hasn't been there in over three and a half, four years. And it's done that at training twice a week. The way that this thing functions is it uses information that you provide and learns about your recovery, your peaks and your valleys and your readiness to train while giving you prescribed exercises. And in the event that you can't do an exercise or don't have the equipment, you have control over changing it. The library that they have built is the most comprehensive one that I've found. It has thousands of exercises in there. And if you're ever unsure what to do, you just look at the video. And let me be clear. I am not getting paid to do this. I don't even have a discount code to give you or a kickback. I I am literally just am a fan of this product. The other thing that I love about it. And I think this comes from being a coach is it tells me what to do, when to do, how long to do it. I'm in, I'm out, I'm done. No more two and a half hour workouts, three hour workouts. Like when I was Olympic lifting, I'm in and I'm out in an hour. And for me, because my focus is on jujitsu, my focus is on getting better at grappling. That's what I want to spend my time doing. I love strength and conditioning, and I do it as a career. But it's not how I want to spend all my time. I want to spend my time doing it very efficiently, getting the most that I can possibly get out of the training session, and then getting back to the things that I love to do. So check out Juggernaut AI. I'll link that in the show notes as well. Maybe there'll be a future partnership there, but for now, if anyone has questions about it, just shoot them my way. It is an awesome product. It helps you build muscular endurance. You can build conditioning like I am right now with anaerobic power. You can do full on powerlifting programs. There are people that compete nationally in powerlifting meets and they train solely on juggernaut. So take it with a grain of salt, but I I think it's a fantastic product. It will help for those of you that are newer to training on a program. It'll really help you understand structure, understand intensity, frequency, all these things that play into making a program effective, but also making a program safe because one of the biggest problems that I see with people training jujitsu is they have trouble balancing the two, which is exactly what we're going to talk about right now. So, If you are someone who plays a sport and trains like tennis, there's always going to be risks. You could pull your Achilles, you could tear your knee, you could trip, fall, roll your ankle, all of these risks are there, but they tend to be the product of some acute event that is out of ordinary, right? You, you take a step and you happen to have a bad step and then something happens to your ankle, but the majority of the time you're just playing tennis jiu-jitsu and grappling, the majority of the time, you're getting smashed. You're getting tripped. You're getting taken down. You're falling. You're reaching back. You're bracing. You're getting your neck driven into the ground. You're getting someone's knee pushed into your sternum. There's so many instances in which it is taxing your body in a risk, high risk way. And so the, the challenge that I see people face when training jiu-jitsu is how to train jiu-jitsu and strength train without one affecting the other negatively. You don't want to just go in. If all you know how to do is CrossFit workouts and max out your deadlift, that's a really bad recipe to complement jujitsu. So if your strength training looks like constant max effort lifts and you're trying to get better at grappling, it's a recipe for disaster. Even if it works in the short term, there will be a point down line where there's too much volume and intensity cumulatively. And it represents itself or presents itself in a way that causes injury. So balancing these two things becomes very difficult. And what I would say to someone, if you don't wanna go the route of using something like Juggernaut AI, if hiring a personal trainer is out of the budget or it doesn't really make sense, and you're kind of faced with this plethora of online forums and (laughs) bodybuilding.com workouts, what do you do? The most important thing that you can do is assess how you feel on a daily basis. So right when you wake up, take stock of how your body feels. If you feel like things are starting to accumulate low back pain, neck stiffness, lack of rotation in your neck, joint pain, if these things are progressing every single morning during this check-in, it's a really good indicator that at baseline, untouched, unwarmed up, just as you are. Something is starting to build and it doesn't mean that you have to stop doing anything, but you should take note of it and try to address that in your training. So if you wake up and your back is tighter than it's been the last three days in a row, maybe today's not the day to really push your deadlift. Maybe today's a day to work on the mechanics of a deadlift, the bracing and breathing of a deadlift, and then do it at 60% of your work instead of 100% or 110%. If you're unsure about what exercises to select, think about the sport of jujitsu. Lots of hip flexion, lots of knee flexion, lots of stability, tons of core strength. And that's a very, very bird's eye level view of the sport. So try to select exercises within that hip flexion, knee flexion, lunges, squats, step-ups, reverse lunges, side lunges, core work. Planks, farmers carry, single arm farmers carry, payload presses. You can basically just search the demands and choose exercises from the demands instead of choosing what's the best workout for jujitsu, because you're just going to get someone's two cents on it. Unless you end up talking to someone like a Chad Wesley Smith who trains some of the most competitive jiu-jitsu athletes in the world and has happened to set records themselves. So balancing jujitsu and strength training really boils down to an ability to accurately and honestly check in with yourself on a day-to-day basis. Listen to your body. If your body's telling you it needs a rest rest, if your body's telling you your neck hurts, don't go roll 50% because someone's going to take 50 as 70. And now you're both rolling at 80 and now you have a neck injury. So. I hate to sound like a broken record pessimist about injury, but my point of talking about this all the time is that I want people to start to develop the ability on their own to gauge where their body's at and how to make choices around that so that you can do the things that you love to do. So that's a big part of of balancing uh, jujitsu. I take stock of my neck, my hips, my knees, and my joints every single morning. It's one of the very first things that I do because unlike trying to decide towards the end of the day or or at training how i'm feeling after i've been walking around moving around i've eaten the sunshine on me i'm warm there's too hot in my house it's too cold in my house whatever it is that initial moment that you wake up that baseline it's a very good time to assess how you're feeling and you can put as much structure around that as you want you could turn it into a small little movement or mobility session in the morning maybe a little yoga flow just to kind of get a gauge If something is really nagging in your hips or your back, grab a foam roller, start to work that out. You can get ahead of this kind of stuff so that you can strength train and do jujitsu. The other thing that I would note on this is frequency. If you're a high frequency jujitsu attendee, drop the frequency on the strength training. If you're a one to two day a week jujitsu, ramp up the strength training, the conditioning, the running those parts of the scale do need to be balanced. And I really say this from experience. I say this from experience of competing in jujitsu, competing in weightlifting, doing both at the same time, doing both separately, having an understanding of those two things becomes really important. And the more you try to force them all into the same box, the more your body is just gonna bark at you. And if there's one thing that becomes frustrating in sport, it's constantly dealing with an injury. So. Heed the advice, rest is a discipline. We talked about that last week on the show. So take into account severity, likelihood injury along the joints that you're feeling in the morning, and then make decisions appropriately. All right, time to talk about one of the most seen pieces of equipment in the weight room, the weight belt. I'll briefly break down just why people use weight belts. So what a weight belt does. Is it applies pressure and tension around your midsection, which does a couple things. It does provide support to the right type of lifter. And I'll break that down in a second. And it provides peripheral resistance or sensation, right? It's a 360 degree enclosure around your abdomen. So what high level lifters are able to do through understanding their breathing patterns and bracing patterns, which if you look to any world records setter ever in powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, they are breathing a specific way and they're bracing a specific way. You don't get strong from just getting underneath the bar, wheezing out all your air, like a balloon that got let go in a room and then doing that over and over, something will happen. So understanding your breathing and bracing against the resistance of a weight belt is incredibly powerful because it adds a whole nother layer of stability externally to the stability that you're creating internally. If you're someone who's a chest breather, a weight belt is pretty useless because you're huffing and puffing all your air up into your chest anyway and creating more space underneath between you and the weight belt. If you're an abdominal breather, diaphragmatic breather, which is what you want to be in strength training, you are breathing out against the resistance. So you can build more pressure in your midsection. The reason this matters is because that pressure is what supports the lumbar spine. There's not ribs to support the spine or much structure around there. So you have to use your breathing, your bracing and your internal obliques, transverse abdominus, all these localized core muscles to support that, to stay safe in a lift. So having a weight belt, if you're an experienced lifter can be extremely valuable. So that's when you should use it. If you're an experienced lifter, competitor. When you're training up around the 90 to hundred percent of your capabilities as an experienced lifter, or if you're a new lifter and you're trying to take diaphragmatic breath practices and implement them into your strength training. The reason I say that is because sometimes that can be a challenging thing to do, learning how to breathe and actually feeling that is impossible without something acting against you. So wearing the weight belt and working on diaphragmatic breath now gives you something to breathe against, and it's going to teach your body how to do that properly. Here's where you want to be extremely careful about using a weightlifting belt. Inexperienced lifters, people that are new to strength training that don't understand breathing and bracing, and that are making big progress quickly. Because when you're newer to weightlifting, you're going to make bigger jumps sooner than someone who's been lifting for a really long time to take the strongest person in the world and make them 1% stronger might take two years. To take a brand new lifter and make them 80% stronger might take five months. It all depends on their starting point. So if you're someone who's new to lifting, you don't have experience breathing or bracing, you take an exercise that's high risk, like a deadlift. And now you throw on the false support of a weight belt. You're really only giving yourself this blanket security that's not real. You haven't established the mechanics yet to really necessitate using it. So I would say, unless you are learning how to breathe properly and using it specifically for that, for that peripheral resistance to breathe against, stay away from it, use instead your own body, your own bracing, and then the mechanics of the lift to properly support yourself. Same thing with kettlebell exercises, for example overhead kettlebell press, the more the weight goes above your body, the more stability you need in your core section. So if you don't understand breathing and bracing, the higher that bell goes up, the more it might start to pitch your pelvis forward and arch your back. Having a weight belt just for the breathing application could help teach you to learn how to better stabilize. So if you're brand new, stay away. If you're an experienced lifter, utilize it. If you're an experienced lifter, staying with it around, you know, 90 to hundred percent of your capabilities. That's where it really can be safe. And if you're truly up at those percentages after a long time of lifting, you're going to have so much internal understanding of what's going on. You'll know exactly when and where to use it. This brings me to my final point, my secret to strength and conditioning, one that is so true for every sport, specifically for grappling but it really applies to anything. And that is do not train with mirrors. Unless you are using a mirror specifically to try to master an element of the mechanics of a movement, you're doing yourself a disservice by using one to see how you're moving, because you're taking away the proprioceptive development that you want to then take into sport, unless you do a sport that's in front of a mirror, which basketball, tennis, pickleball, baseball, grappling, striking, wrestling, curling, (laughs) none of these are done in front of mirrors. So if all your, your proficiency is built in front of one, and then you take that away, you're going to lack proprioception and that's going to affect your intuitive movements within the sport. Jiu Jitsu could not be a better example of this. If all your lunging and squatting and pressing and, and rowing is done with your head craned, looking in a mirror. And then you go get on the jujitsu mats and there's no mirrors anywhere in sight. How are you going to have that internal intuition of where to move and how to move effectively? You never see Olympic weightlifters train in front of mirrors and their lifts are some of the most dynamic and difficult technical lifts that are done in weightlifting, snatch and the clean and jerk to put 260 pounds over your head in a split stance requires immense degrees of proprioception, which is your ability to understand where your body is in space. So if you're doing a sport that also requires you to understand where your body is in space and then move efficiently within that space, stop training with mirrors. It's just like training with big clunky, cloudy heels on your shoes and then going to a sport where you're barefoot. Why would you build all your strength on this silly shoe and then take it off to go to your sport? Build the strength without the shoe. Do the sport without the shoe. Wait, makes way more sense. That's my tip to you. This has been another 30-minute Thursday. Thank you so much for tuning in again. It really means the world. If you're this far and you've stuck with me, whether you've jumped around from the chapters or you've listened to the whole thing, please take 30 seconds. Leave a five-star review on Spotify. Or if you like the visual component, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It helps the show get discovered organically. It helps me understand who's interacting with it. And it really means the world. If there's specific things that you want to hear talked about on 30-Minute Thursdays, I'm very committed to this. I'm doing it every single week. Send me a DM. Give me topics. I'll add it to the list. I'm going to be unpacking these and trying to improve the concept of the show each and every week. I take uh, criticism with a grain of salt very effectively. So if you have any, please Send it to me from visual components to audio quality, to you hate my voice. You love my voice, any of it. Just let me know. I'd love to connect, have a great weekend. Tune in next week for episode one Oh three with a very special guest. Have a great weekend.